Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? This is a, an Andy Height stand. I feel like my chin is going to rest on it if I'm not careful. Well, it's a privilege to be uh, preaching this morning. It's always, always a privilege to be standing up here and, and preaching. And um, just as I was thinking about uh, this week, um, I was just thinking, sitting, sitting by the water uh, on my birthday, actually, and uh, prepping. And I just, thank you. <laughs> yeah, passive, like, please wish me. Um, I was just thinking about what, what, what do I want to share on this morning? What am I thinking about? And I really felt... Uh, this morning that I was going to share on sowing in uncertainty. I'm going to read one of my favorite poems. It says this. There was a time not long ago when the sun did shine and the sower sowed. And the rain did rain and the crops did grow. It was a time before machinery, a time before certainty, a time before we bought the lie, a time before the farmer died, when we had trusting hearts and healing souls. It was a time not very long ago. This concept of sowing in uncertainty is not a new one. We see it in, in Genesis 26. It's the story of Isaac. And, um, you know, Isaac is Abraham's son. And Isaac is living in enemy territory. And the Bible says that in that time there was a famine in the land. And in verse 12 of chapter 26, it says this, When Isaac planted his crops that year, he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted. For the Lord had blessed him. He became a very rich man, and his wealth continued to grow. He acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle and servants, that the Philistines became jealous of him. And I think as I've been reflecting on this whole thing of sowing in uncertainty or sowing in lack, I think that the, um, for me, when I read sowing in famine, famine to me is just extreme lack, lack of food, lack of uh, nutrition, whatever it is. And, and so um, this morning, I, I want to ask you something. Is, is there an area of lack in your life? Do we all have an area in our lives that we feel is lacking? Maybe it's your time, maybe it's your resources, maybe it's your skill set, maybe it's your lack of emotion. And I think often for us as human beings is we can see lack as the biggest thing in our lives. It's the lens in which we can perceive everything around us. If I only had this, if I was only good at this. But this morning, I want to encourage us to use our lenses of faith and candy wrappers, that sounded like. <laughs> because I believe faith is simply a posture of us as human beings and Christians being sure of God's goodness and sure of his grace and his faithfulness. And I want to read in Matthew 5 this morning. We know this passage well. It's the Sermon on the Mount. 
And he's kind of just, Jesus is sort of talking to a whole bunch of people here who have come to hear him speak. And it says this in verse 38, because Jesus is encouraging his listeners in this time to be generous with their lives. And it says this, you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. And if you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You know, when I was reading this, it sounds kind of like one of those things that, that Jesus did. Like, you know, with the prodigal story, it's like, a man has a hundred sheep, right? A man has, uh, 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 loses one of ten coins. A man loses one of two. It's like this reiteration thing to drive a point home. But, but when I was studying this, actually, Jesus is being very specific in this story. He's not just saying, yeah, cheek for a cheek, you know, turn your cheek, okay, good. Now give your extra thing, this. Okay, now one mile, walk two. No, Jesus, it says here in the beginning of the chapter that people from Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, from all around, his people were coming together to hear what he had to say. And at that time, the Romans and the Persians both had power over these people. And so basically what would happen in those times, and it wasn't uncommon, is that a Persian or a Roman would simply take a, a Judean and just say, you, uh, you got to go deliver this parcel. You got to go take this letter, go deliver this message. And typically it was to the distance of about a mile. And so what's happening here is Jesus is saying, like, yeah, your cheek, turn your cheek. You're this, your, your shirt, your coat. But now let me be more specific. Let me talk to you in your circumstance. Let me talk to you in your circumstance. When your wife says, bring home this from the grocery store, bring home two. When you drop your kids at my house and they say one cream, one sugar in their coffee, I'm going to give them two and two and send them home. <laughs> and we see a literal demonstration of this exact thing when Jesus is dying on the cross. What happens? Simon of Cyrene, they say, you, come, carry this man's cross. Right? That was a Roman exercising his authority over a Judean. Let's read that passage again in the Passion Translation. It says this, your ancestors have also been taught, take an eye in exchange for an eye and a tooth in exchange for a tooth. However, I say to you, don't repay an evil act with another evil act. But whoever insults you by slapping you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If someone is determined to sue you for your coat, give him the shirt off your back as a gift in return. And should people in authority take advantage of you, do more than what they demand. Learn to generously share what you have with those who ask for help. And don't close your heart to the one who comes to borrow from you. Here's Jesus sharing a message with a people robbed of their rights. Can anyone relate? And what does he say? His response is not 
take back your rights. His response is be generous. Sowing out of lack. My question for us this morning is are we defaulting to safety in uncertainty? I want to read in Mark 12. It's the widow's offering. We know it well. In verse 21, it says, Jesus observed all the wealthy coming into the temple courts, wanting to be noticed as they came with their offerings. And he noticed a very poor widow who dropped two small copper coins in the offering box. Listen to me, he said. This poor widow was given a larger offering than any of the wealthy. For the rich only gave out of their surplus, but she sacrificed out of her poverty and gave to God all that she had to live on. Some translations say, the rich gave out of what they will never miss. But I think it's important for us as we sit here, because we are a privileged people. Who here can say God has blessed you? I'm not preaching that we have to have nothing in order to give what God wants, because that would just be a, a poverty mentality. But I want to say this, is that something solidifies in our hearts when we give out of our lack. I believe that sowing is a symbol of surrender. It's amazing when you encounter God and you feel that you have that feeling. It's like God is so good and God has given me so much. Isn't it amazing how when you experience that thing, you are so ready to give? It's like freely I have received, freely I give. I was thinking about a story of my parents. When my parents first became Christians, they, they um, had nothing. They lived on um, green peas. The three of us slept in one bed. I was the oldest. And they felt so prompted in a, in a service to give, to sow out of their lack. And they literally had nothing to give. So actually what they ended up giving were their wedding rings because they were gold. And I was thinking about that story because... That thought may not cross my mind ever. Maybe you the same. But it's in that place of feeling so loved by God that you desire to give your everything. It's the reason that God can ask anything of us is because he gave everything for us. And I thought, oh God, what is the harvest in that? What is the harvest in sowing that seed? And then I was thinking forward to what, a, what it would have felt like for my parents when I was a teenager. Someone was in a, a this, this prophetic guy was preaching and, and he was just talking about this ministry that they were sowing into and this and all these things. And I felt prompted as a 15-year-old that I was going to sow into this ministry. And I'm 15. I mean, not many 15-year-olds have a lot of money. I was just starting my new job. But I, I wrote a check when we used to write checks. I wrote a check very discreetly, and I, and I, and I gave uh, $1,000 as a 15-year-old, which was a substantial amount of money. And I sealed the envelope, and I put it in the basket, and like 10 seconds later, this guy just looks over. He says, you, son, come here. Okay? 
And I'm standing here and he says, I don't know what you just did, but have you ever been on a missions trip? Two weeks from that time, I was leaving for India and England on a missions trip with my dad and the pastor of the church. And he said, I just feel that we need to take up an offering for you right now. I want you to come and give this man what what you have. I want you to come fill his pockets, put the money around him, and we're going to sow into his life. Can you imagine, as a 15-year-old, and I was thinking, man, God was blessing me in that moment. But I was thinking, actually, my parents must have been sitting there. And I can imagine my dad and mom thinking, remember when we sowed those wedding rings? The harvest is happening in the next generation. Luke 7. Simeon, a Jewish religious leader, asked Jesus to his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation. When he went to Simeon's home, he took his place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets, known to all to be a prostitute. And when she heard that Jesus was at Simeon's house, she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the home of the Jewish religious leader, and in front of all of the guests, she knelt at the feet of Jesus. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with the tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over, she kissed his feet. Then, as an act of worship, she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume. When Simeon saw what was happening, he thought, this man can't be a true prophet. If he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman is touching him. Jesus said, Simeon, I have a word for you. Go ahead, teacher. I want to hear it, he answered. It's a story about two men who were deeply in debt, One owed the bank $100,000, and the other only owed $10,000. When it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay their debts, the kind banker graciously wrote off the debts and forgave them all that they owed. Tell me, Simeon, which of the two debtors would be more thankful? Which one would love the banker the most? And Simeon answered, I suppose it would be the one with the greater debt forgiven. You're right, Jesus agreed. And then he spoke to Simeon about the woman still weeping at his feet. Do you see this woman kneeling here? She is doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as a guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. Yet she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears and then dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with the customary kiss of greeting. But from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and feet with the finest perfume. 
She has been forgiven all her many sins. This is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love me very little. See, we give out of our lack because we live in a kingdom that is contrary to this world. We don't live in a kingdom that says you buy and you sell. We live in a kingdom that says you give and you receive. See, when the world says justice, the church should cry mercy. When the world screams fear, the church should reveal love. We obviously know the story of our great King and Savior, Jesus, who gave out of lack. And I wonder if we can just play, I've just got an eight-minute video that we're going to watch, and then I'll close. And um, I know this is short. I have a few things to say after this, but um, can, we, can we play that? Would you give me a drink? Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come out new, in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I'd, I'd still like a drink of water, if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? 
Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Wood. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband, then come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. <gasps> exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him, even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? <laughs> Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you, and it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him. 
because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. <laughs> you promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> You forgot your um. Foxy, you man, you told me everything I ever did. <laughs> Amazing, eh? I guess all of that to say Jesus didn't use his need. <laughs> his need is thirst as an ultimatum for sowing seed. It's easy to live with that mentality. God, when I have more time, then I'll. God, when I have more money, then I'll. But then I think about those wedding rings. I'm sure something died inside in a good way when you're giving that last drop. John 10 says this, the Father has an intense love for me because I freely give my own life to raise it up again. I surrender my own life and no one has the power to take my life from me. I have the authority to lay it down and the power to take it back again. This is the destiny my Father has for me. Jesus knew how much he was loved. My question is, do you know how much you're loved? Isn't it amazing how easy it is to give everything when we love.
It's like in these moments that God can stir us, right? It's like I look around the room, some of you I've known for a long time. Sometimes I think if I looked at Jesus, if Jesus looked at you, he would still see that person inside of you before everything. Sometimes it's easy to have a a bigger rear view mirror than a windshield because we remember back to the days of surrender. We remember back to when we had nothing to give and still we gave. But I believe Even in having so many things, there's areas of lack, and God is calling us to sow in times of uncertainty. I think for us, our lack is time. Time. Three kids, the middle girl's pretty much crazy, and we love her, but it's time. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to mobilize local churches after the season that we've just gone through over the last almost two years. It's very hard. We've all filled up our time in different ways. We've worked out some things, good and bad. But it's an important time for us to reestablish what's valuable and important to us. It's easy to know from a distance that raising up another generation is important. But it's a whole different thing to say, okay, I'll be in one of those classrooms once a month. (laughs) Okay, I will. I will have people in my home. I will live out the kingdom honestly and vulnerably. And the only reason Jesus can ask anything of us is because he gave everything for us. Can we pray? Why don't you stand with me?
God, we just stand here before you and we just say, Lord, thank you for our history. Thank you for our story. God, thank you for our personal journeys out of Egypt. But Lord, I pray that we would be a people who are willing to risk again. Think of Jesus saying, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot produce. And Lord, I just want to thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to be the first seed. Lord, in your death, that we would be the first fruits of your harvest. Lord, I pray where the light has maybe grown a little dim. I think of the woman at the well, jaded, skewed perspective, survivalist mentality. And yet, Jesus, you. said to her, not mountains and temples, but spirit and truth, the heart. God, I pray that we would be a people who are willing to sow out of our lack. Not to try and move the hand of God, but simply as a response of your great initiation, your love. Lord, I pray that we would be humble. God, I thank you that you have saved us. And Lord, I thank you for your presence right now. Even as we're standing here, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that your presence would just testify to the truth of your word in our hearts, that we would know, that we know, that we know that we are loved and chosen. Lord, I pray for us where sink that poem again. It's just there was a time not long ago where the sun did shine and the sower sowed. And the rains did rain and the crops did grow. It was a time before machinery, a time before certainty. 
a time before we bought the lie, a time before the farmer died, when we had trusting hearts and healing souls. It was a time not very long ago. Lord, in an age of instant gratification, remind us again of how your sons and daughters can participate in God's economy. Sowing and reaping, seed time and harvest. I just want to uh, I want to share something but first I want to commend you Wesley as a man of God as a man who speaks spiritual words and life and I'll share a bit of a testimony but there's power in what you shared today eternal power life-changing power and you're a man of God and I commend you I want to share just a little bit about something that happened through Wes in my life. Two years ago, long weekend of September, I was sitting over there. My wife and I came to church after one of the most devastating couple of days. You can be seated if you want. The most devastating couple of days. We own a salmon farm, and on that long weekend, on Friday, fish started to die. And they continued to die. And when we came to church Sunday morning, we were faced with a decision that we thought we were going home after church and going to turn the pumps off. And we would have been wiped out. Absolutely and completely. We have risked everything. Wesley preached that morning. Preached a message that I've preached many times in my own life and ministry. But he preached it to me. And he preached a message that the, the topic was, God will make a way where there is no way. The end of that service, I came up onto this platform and I said, that was for me. God will make a way. We went home that day, called our family together, and I said, we can't turn the pumps off. Had we done that, everything, there was no coming back. But God has spoken and said he will make a way. And we're going to trust him. And my children, my wife, we agreed that God will make a way. Two years later, I can stand here to say that not only did God make a way where there was no way, but it was an amazing an absolutely miraculous, incredible chain of events. I received a phone call out of the blue last October where somebody had heard about us and heard about some of the things that we we're doing. And over the next six months, we negotiated a sale and a merger of our business. 
where we not only were able to recover, recover everything that we had invested, but we had much more returned to us in equity and something going forward. And we now have one of the world's leading, most successful salmon farming businesses in the world. We're being watched. Newspapers are writing us about us in Europe, in the U.S. God is faithful. Honor God. He is faithful. When you give your life to God, it belongs to Him. He takes care of it. He looks after it. And He is faithful. Not only has God made a way where there was no way, but he has honored our sowing, our faithfulness of saying, Lord, this is yours. And it's all for him. And I give him the glory. And I commend this man for being able to stand and speak words of spirit. And this morning, I'm sure there's somebody here, maybe more than one, maybe more than two, maybe a hundred, where God is saying something that you need to take personally and apply it and just look at what God can do. God bless you. Thank you, Wes. God bless you. Amazing thing about Steve's uh, salmon farm, it's, um, well, fresh, it's all inland. It's one of the only successful inland salmon farms uh, in the world. And, uh, I've had a privilege of praying over that and walking over that place often with him and just to see what God is doing. And one of the things I just want to say this, unfortunately in Christendom over the last couple decades, um, blessing has always been attached to materialism. And the saddest part as a pastor, I've often seen people get more and more blessed financially and and so on and do less and less for the gospel because of that and I'm I'm just an observer it can happen to me too and so I just want to say that from this side is that blessing is so much more I've ministered to people that are very wealthy that are broken broken people marriages families kids and all of that. And sometimes sitting with some of them, I know that they would give anything, anything they had to have what they had when they were farming. And so I just want to say that that one of the things is what the enemy will try and do now is condemnation, like the Samaritan woman. But God says there's no condemnation for them that are in Jesus Christ. And he says when you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and choose to remember it no more. There's one that chooses to remind us every day, and that is not God. God is more than able. When he said on the cross, it is finished. It was sin, past, present, and future. And this is the thing that we have to understand. And that's where humility 
comes in when to me when 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 I humility to me is many things but one of the things is when I truly say God I can't do this anymore God I've got to let go God I've got to do this I'm sorry I've done this and all of this and truly humble myself but the humility is not only confessing it the humility is receiving what God gives us because it's free and we're so used to earning everything we do earning families loves parents loves children's love um, bosses loves and all of that and so the enemy well one of the things he'll do when you can I've got to change I've got to do this I need to stop this I need to stop that you know what you we've lost already because we cannot outside of Jesus Christ and that's the whole point of Jesus give those burdens to me he says my yoke is easy and my burden is light and if we could just bow our head uh, now um, I just had this picture right now as I was speaking is that we've got cleanse first I've got a cleanse first and many things that I just cannot let go and I'm not talking material stuff and all of that kind of stuff but stuff that for some reason and I feel God just says you close your eyes to open your hand and see yourself putting those things on his lap on Jesus lap give it to him right now yes say sorry whatever you feel you need to do but there's no future in our past no future in our past but we have a glorious future in him so Holy Spirit I pray even now even as you say through the proper um, Ezekiel that you'll cleanse us with pure water and make us clean that you'll remove from us a heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And the, the secret of true freedom in Christ is letting go and letting God. Warts and all. We know the disciples were not perfect before they met Jesus and often not perfect after they met Jesus even after his resurrection but they understood grace they understood the power of the cleansing of the blood of Jesus they understood that they just need to yield to him so Holy Spirit I pray even now that you begin to pour out your love your mercy and your grace that you begin to soften our hearts, that you, you cleanse us, that we'll never, ever not come to you, Lord God. Even when we sin 70 times 7 in the same sin, <laughs> you told us that that's how much we need to forgive each other. How much more do you forgive us? How much more, Lord? 
Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and sometimes it's because of the enemy saying you're not worth it. Well, I tell you how much we are worth to God. He didn't give us a planet. He didn't give us a universe. He gave his life. He paid with his very life. That's how precious every single one of us is to Jesus Christ. And even right now, you don't have to put up your hand, but if the Holy Spirit, you can ask God for forgiveness, and He'll wash those things away, and you can ask Jesus into your life right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I learned by a wise man many years ago as a young Christian. He said, you know the difference between the, the voice of the Lord and the voice of the enemy? And I said, I'm not sure. He says, when you mess up, Jesus says, run to me. And the enemy will always say, you useless, run away. Remember those voices. The still small voice of Jesus saying, come, all who are thirsty, come, come, come. The voice of the enemy is like a trash talker on a hockey, on the ice, on basketball, where they come and, and trash talk to intimidate each other. Let those things go.